The newspaper headline read, A missing hyphen is blamed for a rocket's failure. It seemed that scientists were working on this rocket to um, go out and uh, orbit Venus, I believe it was, and uh, they had, it had been propelled by a $38 million rocket. And shortly after liftoff, this rocket took off and then did a sudden turn, went nosedive straight down into the planet and exploded into a fiery flame. Well, of course, someone had to be accountable for this, so uh, NASA sent Richard Morrison to the uh, Capitol Hill to testify at the, the, the subcommittee meeting. Mr. Morrison says it was a hyphen that caused the crash. <laughs> and a, a uh, congressman bellowed down, would you tell us then, Mr. Morrison, how a hyphen can be responsible for the crash of a $38 million rocket? He said, well, actually it was the absence of a hyphen because the program that was written for this um, rocket it needed a hyphen in it in order to tell the the, the, the controller not to uh, receive signals from the radar until a certain point in time and then it could do that but once the hyphen was removed it immediately received a signal that said turn left nosedive down and it did exactly what it was programmed to do and so it was a hyphen you see or actually it was the absence of a hyphen that caused the rocket to crash sort of ridiculous isn't it that a little a little dash in a computer program can cause millions of dollars in damage. A, a, a rocket that would, would blow up because it wasn't properly programmed. Such a small thing that could cause such a major disaster. As I looked at the passage of the, the three kings, the three magi, I noticed that they were, uh, they were observant. They were adventurous. They were, um, they were religious. I mean, all these things were true. They, they took this long journey. Travel in an ancient Near Eastern world was dangerous. And they take this long journey from home, apparently carrying lots of uh, valuables along the road. They also, um, they also are observant. They, they see the signs and the stars. And they believe that God, or maybe from their version, gods, I'm not sure, are at work, that there's this sign in the heavens. And they're also religious. They, they also believe that there's meaning to this. Deep meaning to, to this event that they see above them. They don't miss the small details. No missing hyphen in their story. You know, humans need a lot of things, don't we? We're a needy bunch. We need stuff. <laughs> and lots of stuff. We need food and water. I mean, we need these things. Don't we? we need oxygen to breathe. We need love and companionship. There's a film out, I think it's called uh, Into the Wild. I haven't seen it yet, but my friend tells me that it's about this young man who believes that he can go out into the wild and, and live by himself and, and live this uh, pure life away from all humanity. And um, he discovers it's not quite as easy as he thought. We need stuff. And one of the things that we need is to worship. And if we don't have something worthy of our worship, you know what we'll do? We'll create something. And then we'll worship it. Because we have this, this inner desire, this longing, this, this part of what it means to be human is to worship. And so the Magi, they say, we saw his star and we've come, the, the translation I read, to pay homage, really to worship. We have come to worship. They see their need and, and they recognize it and they go to, to, to offer worship. 
You know, it's interesting to me that no one else saw the star. Isn't it to you? Uh, I mean, why didn't anyone else notice this was going on? Do people not look up? I I don't know. Maybe not. But but this was a a a, um, you know a a magnificent sight. I was uh, listening to Paul Harvey a few years ago. And um, and he said that that in the year six BC, uh, th- when we believe that Jesus was probably born, that there was this um, lining up of three planets. I think uh, Mars, Jupiter, something else. I can't remember. Um, those of you who keep track of the planets, probably not Pluto because it's been demoted. But uh, you know, there, there was this lining up of planets, and and the, the, it, it created a spectacular, um, stellar event. No one else saw the star, or if they did see the star. Perhaps they didn't think there was any significance. I remember it uh, must have been the late 90s, 2000, somewhere around that. I was living in Kentucky, and we, we heard on the news story that there was going to be this tremendous meteor shower at 4.30 in the morning. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm not usually awake at 4.30 in the morning. But I set my alarm clock. And I remember my, my oldest sons, uh, you know, they were, uh, you know, I don't know, uh, nine and, and five or something like that. And, and they, they said, you know, will you wake us up? Well, the oldest one got up, he woke up, but the other one didn't, and he's been mad at me ever since. Um, but uh, like it's my fault that he wouldn't get up. Anyway, we go outside at 4.30 in the morning, and sure enough, we're standing there looking, there's nothing. And then all of a sudden, just shooting across the sky, these, these, these streaks of light just kept coming and coming. It was quite amazing. And I think it's going to happen again in 2,800 years or so. And so I, I told my other son, I'll make sure I wake you up then, okay? <laughs> These events that go on, you look up and, and see these magi. They look up and they see a star. And they say, there's, some, there's meaning behind this. God is doing something in the world. And so they go on a quest. And they start on a journey following this star. Um, in verse 10, they, it says they, they came to the place where the star was, and they were filled with joy. Let me, let me read it to you. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. In the original, it's difficult to translate this because it's a double adjective. It's, it's the great, wonderful joy. They're, they're overwhelmed. It's, um, uh, let's see, the, the, King, the New American Standard says they rejoiced exceedingly. And, and the old KJV says they rejoiced with exceeding great joy, which is really a pretty good way to translate it. I think if my sons were translating it, they would say they were filled with super duper joy. You know, it's this, you need more than one word to say just how much it's super duper. It's extra super. It's whatever. You know, they're filled with double joy. They start a quest and the quest leads them to the Christ child. And when they discover the child, they're filled with such joy that one adjective doesn't work. It's double modifier joy. I don't know about all of you, but the other night on Friday evening, um, I was watching the Buckeye game before I headed up here, and uh, it, was a, it was a thing of glory, wasn't it? Um, it was just, it was wonderful. But about the third quarter, I got a little bit nervous. Um, you know, we, we kind of lost our lead, and and I think I've seen that movie before, haven't you? And, and, I, and I thought, oh no, is it, it's going to be, a, but no. We came back, and went up nine points, and it was obvious that we had them by the throat and weren't going to let go. And sure enough, we did. We win. And at the end of the game, you know, I had some friends over at the house, and we're all high-fiving and just so happy. Happiness is not joy. And the happiness that I felt 
from seeing the Buckeyes finally win a bowl game was not anything like the joy that the Magi feel. Joy is different than happiness. Happiness can be changed by circumstances. If, if suddenly the referee had thrown a flag and said the game's not really over and, and we had found a way to lose it, you know, how we do, and I, that happiness that I felt would have been immediately dashed. But joy... Joy is not like happiness. It is not so easily overcome by circumstances. Sure, joy can be depressed and, and it can be pushed down, but it comes from deep inside and there's this uh, confidence that comes from joy. And, and these, these magi, they discover the Messiah and they're filled with joy. Uh, they, um, they also respond to this joy that they find, don't they? What do they do when they arrive? They, they open up their treasury chest and, and they begin to pour out gifts. I mean, imagine the scene. Imagine these, these men who are, who are well clad. They're, they're, you know, they have a, a, a herd of camels. I don't know how many. They say, we say there are three because there are three gifts, but we don't really know how many there were. The text never actually says three. But these men, let's just imagine there's three of them. And they're, and they're, they're well clad. They have you know, the finest of clothing. They have nice camels. You know? um, they're probably the elite camels. You know, kind of a Mercedes camel. And, um, and they're riding up on these camels and, and, and they, they show up and, and they have an entourage around them. And there's this little home. You know, this little home was probably just one room. Uh, the baby is not probably a baby. Jesus is probably, you know, a year and a half, two years old when they finally arrive. Uh, Herod has all the children under two uh, murdered later on. We'll see in the story. But, but you know, they come to this little home and, and imagine this peasant home and these kings who live in palaces and, and who are wealthy and, and they come into this little, this little impoverished home and there's this peasant girl holding this little baby and they're overwhelmed with joy. So much so that they lavish upon them these very expensive gifts. Gold and frankincense and myrrh. And, and I have no way of proving this. I don't know. But I'm not so sure that they brought those gifts for them. These are probably part of their treasury that the, just with them. Sure, I'm sure they brought gifts. I'm sure they intended to give gifts. You don't go to meet a king. But when they pulled up out front of the house, you know, it's probably like, um, you know, 108th Street, you know, Northwest or something like that. And, and they see this little home. And, and I'm thinking that they could have easily said, oh, this family doesn't need gold and frankincense and myrrh. This family would probably get by with, you know, a load of wood or, <laughs> or stone or, or something like that. We could probably get by with much less. But they don't, do they? They pour out of their treasury these gifts. Victor Hamilton is an Old Testament scholar. He says, in the ancient Near Eastern world, there was no concept of worship without sacrifice. That when we come into the presence of the Almighty, we give because we don't know how not to give. It's a response, and these men have exactly that response. St. Augustine said that humans were made to worship, and our hearts are restless until we find our place in God. The, the Westminster Confession asks the question, what is the chief and highest end of mankind? The answer, mankind's chief and highest end is to glorify God and to fully enjoy Him forever. Humans have needs. We have lots of needs. We need lots of stuff. We need food and water and oxygen and love and companionship and shelter. We need these things. 
But what we need more than any of that, what we need more than the air we breathe, is to worship, is to come into the presence of the Almighty and sense His presence. And when we do, we are filled with joy. And every week, every week we have the opportunity to do just that. To come and hear. To hear from the Lord. To hear His Word in, in Scripture that's read. In sermons that are proclaimed. And, and then with open and empty hands to come before Him. And He feeds us with Himself. And we can let this become very routine. We could come in here and, and let it become very routine and ordinary. And it shouldn't be. It should be extraordinary. Every time we come to the presence of the Lord filled with joy. And a lot of people have tried to, to find ways. It's usually novelty. Let's do something new. No, it's not about that. It's about preparing our hearts. It's about recognizing our need. Questing. You know, they used to build churches up on hills. You had to go up the stairs to get to them. Even in Kansas, where, the, where it's all flat, they would get the bulldozers out and make a hill so that you could build a church up on top of the hill. And you could climb the stairs. Why? Because you had to, from the very time you entered, quest up this hill to God. There's an old saying, for the want of a nail, a horseshoe was lost. And for the want of a horseshoe, a horse was lost. And for the want of a horse, a rider was lost. And for the want of a rider, a battle was lost. And for the want of a battle, the war was lost. The war could be lost over a tiny thing, a nail. We were made for worship it can be the smallest thing, but it is the most important thing. It's the most important thing that we ever do or ever find. And my question this morning to you and to me is, have we come to worship? Amen.